Hello, Fear the Fro Pod listeners. It is Bob Schmidt, your podcast host, and it is that time of year where any NBA podcast worth their salt, uh, saying that I never understood until I looked it up just prior to doing this podcast. Apparently, salt is the Latin word for wages, so worth one's salary. I endeavor to be a podcaster worth one's salary, but here's the thing. The bar's exceptionally low because I don't make a goddamn cent from this. So I'm going to pick who I want and you can get fucked. I'm sorry. I don't mean that. The reason I do this is for the validation of complete strangers. So if you want to leave a rating or review, I will accept those in lieu of money. Now let's get to the podcast. Not going to be conventional though. I've added a twist. Welcome to Fear the Fro. Shot clock by Mobley. Holy Mobley. Donovan Mitchell is eight from eight from downtown. Darius Garland hit it from Euclid. Lock Allen. Pow. Oh, that was gorgeous. A Cleveland Cavalier podcast. What do we need to add? What do we need to give coach? The game has come down to space and opportunity. We address that. Hosted by the voice of Fox Sports Radio. Yeah, his name is Bob Schmidt. Bob, Bob Schmidt. Schmidt. Spectacular talent. That guy is a legend. Got at the buzzer! Welcome to the Fear the Fro podcast. It is I, your host, Bob Schmidt. Now, this is a pretty simple concept to understand. One very popular in the podcast sphere. We discuss Vegas favorites to win awards, to win titles, and then I make my picks. But it's not going to be the way that you've heard it on several pods. Because, quite frankly, I would be rehashing a lot of the same ideas. This is a vehicle for me to disparage or build up teams that I believe in or don't believe in. Everything else is just framing. Do you really want to hear me do a pod where I pick the Denver Nuggets? Boring. Or where I pick some long shots? To later be thrown back in my face. Now, because I did such a piss-poor job of this last year, here is what I promise to you. I will not go all chalk. Even if I want to, I won't. In fact, chalk will be banned. Like that TikTok video with the tenant who draws the ridiculously elaborate sidewalk art with chalk and whose old lady landlord sprays it off with a hose and tells her it's prohibited. What a C-bomb, am I right? She should be on the next door app, talking about how Ja Morant went to shit when he started listening to the hippity hop. I was listening back last year to the predictions that I made. I said mild improvement from Mobley. I predicted 18 and 10. Didn't hit that, but did that in the second half of the season. I said Mitchell would be the only all-star. I said I don't think Jared Allen will make another all-star game for the remainder of his career. Those all look solid, but who gives a shit? That's some milk toast predictions I made. Speaking of which, excuse me for one moment. Pause. Okay, I'm back. I paused because I was curious what the entomology of milk toast is. Here we go. Milk toast was a delicacy made of slices of toast, buttered and sprinkled with pepper and salt, and laid in a dish of warm milk, which serves as a sauce to the rest. It has little substance, cannot hold its shape, and is practically liquefied. Immediate thoughts there? Warm milk? Gross. My dad sometimes will heat up pie and put it in a bowl of milk, and I want to scream at him. I don't understand the concept of heating something up super hot and then taking something super cold and combining them until it's all room temperature in a way that it's not meant to be served, okay? Pie is either hot or it's cold. It's not middle of the road. Milk is either cold or it's not drank at all because milk is fucking gross and it makes me fart. One of the two. Nobody 
should eat pie like it's cereal. Nobody even eats cereal anymore unless it's some kind of plant-based milk, which coincidentally also makes me fart. <laughs> Point is, milk toast is bad, and I don't want to be the type of guy who predicts something that 99% of the world does. If all season long I am going to take audio and repurpose it here. I would take the Knicks and their future right now over the Cavs and their future. Audio like that from Nick Ferdell. If I'm going to be the type of non-confrontational bucket of shit who does that on a podcast, assuming they'll never hear it, well, then I need to say some equally outlandish things. So if you came here expecting me to pick Jokic for MVP or to pick the Celtics or the Bucks for NBA champion, you are going to be disappointed. Even if I believe those things, I am going to pretend that I'm your elected representative and I'm going to lie to your face. So I'm going to take my mandate of the people and make some absolutely wild predictions. Let's do this thing. NBA champion. NBA champion. Okay, Vegas favorites, Celtics, Bucks, Nuggets, Suns. They are heavy favorites. Down the list considerably are the Cleveland Cavaliers. Here is my rule. I will not pick anyone whose odds are better than plus 2,000 for any of these, for any award, for anything. If I was going, no odds included, I would say my pick will be Bucks versus Nuggets in the finals. But I'm not doing that because, like I said, that's for little bitch boys. I'm not a little bitch boy. Okay, I'm a big grown man. So here's my pick. In the East, the team with the best odds after plus 2,000 would be the 76ers. I can't in good conscience pick any team championed by the only MVP in NBA history who has not escaped the second round, Joel Embiid. That, in conjunction with the fact that the 76ers have this James Harden debacle going on right now, who would pick them? That would just be throwing my money in the toilet. Sort of like putting your faith in Joel Embiid. Completely wasted and foolish. The Cavaliers, well, we all know, in my heart, that's the team I'd pick. But a Cavaliers podcast picking a Cavaliers team, even if I get that right, nobody's going to give me credit, so let's rule them out. Let's go to the next team, odds-wise, in the list, the Miami Heat. Now, everything that happened this offseason would tell you picking the Miami Heat would be stupid. Gone are Struess. Gone is Gabe Vincent. They tried to trade Tyler Hero basically the entire offseason, and the only new addition of note that they added were Josh Richardson, Thomas Bryant, and their first-round pick, Jaime Jaquez Jr., who I do like as a bit of a UCLA fan. I'm a Syracuse fan, first and foremost, but I've always kind of liked UCLA. Powder blue. It's the way to my heart, boys. Uh, so would I pick them? Fuck it. Let's do it. I'm going with the Heat for this reason. Tyler Hero, comeback season. The guy took all these rumors in stride, joked about it after the fact, said he was going to cop him a Dame jersey in the Bucks because, of course, he's from that area originally growing up. I'm going to say that Tyler Hero is going to come out. He's going to ball his ass off. Bam Adebayo is one of my favorite players in the league in terms of his impact on the game. I think he could absolutely vie for defensive player of the year. And Jimmy, if anything is true of Jimmy, it's that he plays his best with an absolute chip on his shoulder and being told that his team is not going to do anything. Watching that his, his front office screwed the pooch in the Dame Lillard trades, I think he's going to come out motivated. I think Tyler Hero will. I think he will. And I think the contributions you get out of a Jaime Jaquez Jr., maybe a little bit of a return to form from Duncan Robinson, fuck it. 
I'm picking the Heat. I can't believe I'm saying that, but let me say it definitively. I'm going to pause. Let me count it down. Three, two, one. Yes, absolutely. The Miami Heat are going back to their third NBA Finals in recent years representing the Eastern Conference against everybody's better judgment. Tyler Hero is a stud. Recording paused. There, I said it. I'll put that in the show notes on Spotify. Let's move it forward to the Western Conference. No odds? I'd pick the Nuggets, but thems aren't the rules. Now, first, let me discredit some teams which could win it to give you other avenues under which I will look stupid. I do not believe in the Suns. This is a team built entirely around the offensive greatness of three players, none of whom are particularly great at defense at this stage of their career. Kevin Durant, of course, being the best, but also the frailest and oldest. Do I believe in Yusuf Nurkic and his ability to stay on the court or contribute at a level of a DeAndre Ayton? No, I don't. I can't believe the man's only 28 years old. I would have thought he was 40, similar to a Victor Oladipo, only 31 years old. Did you know that? Absolutely mind-blowing. This team is built around three transcendently great offensive players, two of which have plenty of health concerns. While I credit them for what they did filling in bench depth with limited options, I don't believe in their front court. I don't believe in their point guard play. And while I think Vogel got fucked with the Lakers, I certainly don't think he's coming in year one and cobbling together a championship-level defense out of Yusuf Nurkic, Yuta Watanabe, Drew Eubanks, Bull Bull, Nasir Little. No, it's not happening. Next, the Lakers and Clippers. Would I pick them? I would love if LeBron won another title, but I hate the Lakers fans, and quite frankly, I thought they were gifted into some beautiful free agent acquisitions. Love Torian Prince. Austin Reeves got a ridiculously low money contract when teams should despise the Lakers so much they should have offered him more money just out of principle, but they didn't do it. And now the Lakers look deeper and better than they were last year, but still a team built around a superstar who has played in excess of 20 years is just too risky for me. Can't do it. So let's move across to the other locker room, the LA Clippers. Do I believe the gods would allow the Clippers to open a new building celebrating an NBA championship with the absolute lack of heart that Kawhi Leonard has showed since arriving in L.A. No, I don't. I respect Paul George. I respect Avica Zubac. Terrence Mann is wildly overrated. Just fucking trade him already. For years, I've been hearing about how valuable he is, and yet he can't even hold down a consistent spot in your starting lineup. Pull the trigger, get Harden. At least get a guy who will make things interesting instead of me having to listen to Kawhi ho-hum his way through questions about why he's not playing again. The Warriors, can I pick them? No, I'm a man of principle. As I said, picking anything that resembles success involving Draymond Green is basically worse than what's transpiring in the Middle East right now. But I will say, somehow they always defy the odds. The window is much bigger than I ever anticipated it would be. However, there's a little bit of turmoil regarding the Clay Thompson extension. Will he get the money he wants? Can they even give that to him? Do I think Chris Paul will be a seamless fit? I don't. I think Kuminga is ready to take a step forward. He looked good in preseason. I think Paul will be useful in the playoffs, far more useful than Jordan Poole. And while this isn't about Jordan Poole, let me just say this. ESPN Fantasy would have you believe that Jordan Poole is going to drop 30 points a game in Washington. I get it. Just tonight, 
The man dropped 41 points against the Knicks in the last preseason game. It is a bold time for me to make a bold statement, but that's what bold men of integrity, distinction, and principle do. Jordan Poole will not average more than Donovan Mitchell. That's fucking ludicrous. Secondly, while I think long-term people will say, oh, you got rid of Jordan Poole for one year of Chris Paul? That's crazy. Perhaps it is. But I'm far more confident that Chris Paul will show up in the playoffs and play smart basketball than I ever would have been with Jordan Poole. Here's the problem, though. I already didn't like Chris Paul. I already didn't like the Lakers. I already loathed Draymond Green. So for me to pick success for all three of those entities collectively, even if I believed it, I won't do it. A man of principle. So that brings us to the Grizzlies and who share the same odds as the Cavs. And you may think, well, this is going to be the same logic. This dickhead Bob has made enemies everywhere. I already know he doesn't like Jaron Jackson Jr. or Marcus Smart. No way will he pick them. Well, I almost did. I almost did because I believe despite John Morant's troubles and his lengthy suspension to start the season, this is a team that has proven they can win without him. And while they... Basically no-showed in the playoffs against the Lakers last year. I chalk a lot of that up to Dylan Brooks poking the bear. However, I do want to make clear, I was not in favor of trading Marcus Smart to the Grizzlies and sending out Tyus Jones and a first-round pick that later got rerouted to Portland in the Drew Holiday deal. I don't know why you would do that. Gone are Dylan Brooks, solid defender, Bad offensive player. Gone is Tyus Jones, one of the best backup point guards in the league on a team who is missing their starting point guard due to, well, you know, stupidity. And in comes Marcus Smart, a better defender than Dylan Brooks, perhaps, debatably, marginally. I mean, he does have a defensive player of the year under his belt. But while he's not as high volume bad at offense, he's certainly not great at offense. I don't think they got that much better. I do think Zaire Williams looked better. In this preseason, I think Conchar is going to have to take on a bigger role. I've always liked Santi Aldama. Had some big games against us. Fat body Roddy, he can do some things. But Derek Rose, woof. Miss me with that free agent addition. For that reason, I won't take them. And so, we have arrived at my selection. Three, two, one. The New Orleans Pelicans, led by the Zion Williamson Renaissance season. Brandon Ingram coming off a slight in the Olympics where he barely played and when he did, looked like dog shit. Trey Murphy III out for the early part of the season but returning to remind everyone why he is one of the best players from his draft class and that will help us see a repeat of what we saw at the beginning of the 2022-23 season as the New Orleans Pelicans string together a healthy, productive transcended season to reach the NBA Finals. Recording paused. Jesus, that one is never going to work out. So we've reached the finals. It's the Miami Heat and the New Orleans Pelicans. Who will be victorious? Well, obviously, I'm going to say the Miami Heat, who will win their first NBA title since LeBron walked away, led by NBA Finals MVP Jimmy Butler, who reaches the mountaintop, double birds the crowd, and shows up for the 2024 Media Day dressed like a cat. Moving on. NBA MVP. NBA MVP. Okay, the favorites, quite simple. Nikola Jokic, Giannis, Luka, Jason Tatum, and Joel Embiid in that order. That's right. 
last year's MVP, just fifth in the odds, because I think we can all recognize twas a sham, twas a political sham, where he lobbied all season and then ghosted in the postseason. Woo! Halloween theme. The media will not be so stupid as to give that playoff choker another lobbying MVP. It will not happen. Do I think Jokic can win again? No. The same shit that held him back before will hold him back again. People will now weaponize his seeming lack of caring. Even after winning a title, not wanting to attend the parade, they'll say he doesn't need this accolade. Let's give it to someone else who's equally worthy but might give a shit. Jason Tatum, I think, has a good shot. MVP always goes to somebody on a really great team, and Jason Tatum has that going for him, as opposed to Doncic, who has his fates tied to Kyrie Irving. A terrible, terrible proposition if you don't happen to be the greatest player in the history of the NBA. Can I get an amen? Amen to that, brother. Thank you, CBS Sports Radio's Andrew Perloff. Here's the problem with Tatum as I see it. The Boston Celtics added Chris Stapps Porzingis. A man whose career usage percentage is 27%. Just a tick above, 2% above our boy, Darius Garland. Which is ridiculous because one is a guard and the other is a big man. Do I think that he will usurp Tatum in the pecking order? Of course not. But I certainly believe that he will siphon off enough numbers that Tatum will not be able to win MVP on the strength of the Celtics' overall team performance alone. Moving forward... Let's slide down the list to plus 2,000 and beyond. The top of that list, Devin Booker, then Dame Lillard, then Donovan Mitchell, then Ant Edwards, then Zion Williamson. Now, could I pick Booker? No. Not if I want to have take integrity. I already said I think they have plenty of offense, and he doesn't do enough stuff defensively or in the ancillary categories. He's out. Lillard, simple explanation. Giannis exists. Next. Our own Donovan Mitchell. Could I pick him for MVP? Well, no, I can't do it for multiple reasons. One, I expect more from the guys who are already in place. Darius Garland, Evan Mobley. Do I think Donovan Mitchell can improve upon his career year last year? I'm skeptical. Honestly, I hope that he doesn't have to because we have more bench help too. Our bench guys aren't Lamar Stevens and Isaac Okoro. Yes, Okoro's still here, but do you think that we won't siphon off some stats with guys like Yang, with guys like Struess, with Levert, still back, Ty Jerome, do you think he won't give us more than Ricky Rubio? I certainly do. I think Donovan Mitchell will be hard-pressed to carry the kind of load he did last year. I think the whole point of changing this offensive system is so that he doesn't have to. Do I buy into Ant Edwards and the Team USA emergence where he was the best player on the squad? Sure, I think he'll take a step forward. Do I think his team will take that big of a step forward? Not a big enough step. I'm not picking him. Now, for take integrity, one would think that I'd pick Zion Williamson. I said in my previous take, the Pelicans would be in the NBA Finals against the Heat. But that's because I had to pick somebody with shit odds. This is an exercise in going against the grain. The real win here is if the teams I picked perform in the same tier, even, as the teams at the top of the odds. That is should be considered a victory. But I will make that case in the offseason next year. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pick the guy right below him on the list. Three, two, one. A Los Angeles Laker. Not my beloved Los Angeles Laker. The other one. The oft-injured one. The one who could be the defensive player of the year if he could simply stay on the court. Yes, I am picking someone other than LeBron James to be considered the best player on his team, nay, the best player in the league. 
Anthony Davis, 12 seasons into his NBA career after being the number one pick, will finally realize his full potential and win NVP. Recording paused. I hope you realize how difficult this exercise is. Now, I picked this arbitrary number of plus 2,000, but holy shit, are the options bad. Let's keep it moving on the Fear of the Fro pod because we're 16 minutes in and I haven't gotten to the marquee award for our Cavalier fandom, the Defensive Player of the Year. Defensive Player of the Year. Now, if you like my giant swinging podcast dick, may I prompt you to like and subscribe right now? Because shit's about to get loose in this motherfucker. Top four odds, guys. There's four guys with less than plus 1,000 odds. Jaron Jackson Jr. is the front runner in Vegas. Second is Evan Mobley. Third is Giannis. Fourth is Anthony Davis. Now, the fact that I just picked Anthony Davis for MVP would tell you that I should probably pick him for Defensive Player of the Year. If he wins one, there's a good chance he's winning the other. But how many people have ever done that in NBA history? Well, I'm glad you asked. Two, Michael Jordan in 1988, and then in 1994, Hakeem Olajuwon. That is it. Mainly because LeBron James was robbed by Marcus Saul, but that's neither here nor there. The fact is, I can't pick Anthony Davis because I would be breaking my own rules. Only plus 2,000 and beyond. If a man doesn't honor his word, is he even a man at all? No. He might as well join the ranks of people who eat pudding at NBA games. Just the filth of society. So, here's where we begin. At plus 2,000, my options are the following. Victor Wembenyama. Uh, I mean, I love him, but I think the, the surprising part of this season is going to be his mid-range dominance. Watching this preseason, everybody knows what he is on the defensive end, but holy shit, is that guy a mid-range monster in the stylings of Kevin Durant. He has a jumper that I would kill to get Evan Mobley with. Joel Embiid, would I pick him? Never! Draymond Green, what am I, Michael Pena? I'm not picking a guy anchoring a middle-of-the-road defense to win Defensive Player of the Year. To say nothing of the fact he just got paid. Will we get maximum effort? Who's to say? So that brings me to two options which I am deciding between. At plus 2,500 odds, we have Drew Holiday and we have Nick Claxton. Now, I think Drew Holiday is going to be on one of the best defensive teams in the league. So that always bodes well for the analytics. And as we saw last season, analytics plays a huge part in this debate because despite Evan Mobley having a thousand more minutes, Jaron Jackson Jr. got the award. But let's keep it on topic. I think the smart bet here would be Drew Holiday, which is why. Three, two, one. The most magnetic Cavaliers podcaster out there is selecting Nick Claxton to be awarded the Defensive Player of the Year alongside an all-NBA season from Mikael Bridges and a return to mediocrity from Ben Simmons. Mediocrity meaning he actually plays and he actually contributes despite still offensively sucking shit. But at the end of the 2023-24 NBA season, because his team is stacked with long, versatile defensive wings and his elite rim protection, Nick Claxton will finally be recognized amongst the top five defensive centers in the NBA, not just analytically, but also anecdotally and conversationally. Credit which has yet eluded him mainly due to the low profile of being a second-round draft choice, something he had no control over. Recording paused.
Now for the award you've been waiting patiently for. I'm sure you were on the edge of your seat saying, who will Bob predict to be the clutch player of the year? No, I'm not doing that one. Fuck that award. It's based on scenarios which players can't even get in equal measures. Completely dependent on how many times your team still allows other teams to stay in the game and you close those games. It's stupid to predict that award. It's the equivalent to predicting how many toilets will Jared Allen wreck this year in the Vivint Center Arena. For that to even happen, first his food has to be poisoned again. And do we really think that happened to Michael Jordan, Jared Allen, and then Jared Allen a third time? Seems pretty far-fetched. Moving on. Most improved player. Most improved player. Vegas's favorite is Mikhail Bridges, a man who averaged 25 points after going to the Nets last year. Seems like a pretty safe bet, but it also seems like a cowardly bet. And as I said, plus 2,000. So let's go right to it. Well, 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 will you look at who's atop the list? It's two adversaries from the same draft, one of which happens to suit up for our very own Cleveland Cavaliers. Coming in at plus 2,000, Alpi Shengun from the Houston Rockets and Evan Mobley. Now, do I believe Shengun is set to have a season that's better than last year? Well, everything would indicate that he would. He took a massive leap in year two. Five more points a game, four more rebounds a game, an extra assist. He shot 8% better from the floor, 9% better from the three-point arc, and his overall true shooting percentage actually finished above Evan Mobley at 59.9. Statistically, the man is unimpeachable in his progression, but defense is what separates Mobley from Alpi Shengun. And also the fact that Shengun's value comes in large part due to the ball being in his hand. Look at the acquisitions over the offseason. Fred Van Fleet, a much better true point guard than anyone they had on their roster. <clears throat> Kevin Porter Jr., we'll get to that in a different podcast. And Dylan Brooks, a veteran. Somebody who has shown a propensity to put some shots up outside the flow of the offense. Will he rein that in, in this Adoka offense? Perhaps. But I think this is the first signs Houston has shown of trying to turn towards playing winning basketball, and much of the benefit Shen Goon saw was due to lack of better options. Now they have some better options. Some veteran options. Shen Goon, out. Mobley, also out. I'm sorry, Cavs fans, but I think you'll understand my rationale here. From day one of his rookie year, Evan Mobley has been a high minutes per game player. He was second on the team in minutes per game in year one. He was third in year two. This is a guy who is not going to enjoy the benefit of seeing his role massively increase. If anything, you can argue that we got deeper with more offensive options. And while, yes, they're talking about using him as a hub, what is that going to equate to? Some more assists a game? Yes, maybe his scoring takes a slight uptick defensively. He's already elite. That's the problem. He got the second most votes for Defensive Player of the Year last year. How much higher is there to climb that doesn't involve becoming a dominant offensive player? And I'm sorry, I just don't believe that he has that ahead of him due to the presence of Struess, of Garland, of Mitchell, of Levert, all guys who can put him up. Remember, in year one, Evan Mobley had less usage than Sexton, Garland, Love, Ricky Rubio, Karis Levert, Jetty Osman. Evan Mobley is a great player. However, he's not a selfish player, and a big component to increasing your stats is increasing your opportunities. And Evan is not the player to make the selfish play over the smart play. So 
consider this some sort of backhanded compliment. I think he will not be in contention for this award because he's focused on team ball. And isn't that better, really, here? Here's some of the... Okay, in order of the bets that have been placed on people, Kate Cunningham has over 22% of the tickets. Second is Tyrese Maxey. Third, although a distant long shot odds-wise, is Ben Simmons. I have this to say about Ben Simmons. Now, I do believe some of the hype. He looks way more spry. He looks healthier. But most improved players should not be a player whose improvement comes largely due to finally being healthy or finally giving a shit. Ben Simmons would have less reason to win this award than he had to win Rookie of the Year in his second fucking season. It should not happen. If there are people casting votes for Ben Simmons for most improved player, regardless of what he does this season, take their votes away. So that brings me to my pick. It's a man who is playing alongside perhaps the highest profile rookie we've seen since LeBron James. You know who I refer to, of course, that's Victor Wembanyama. So, by way of deduction, you probably have arrived at my pick. Three, two, one. Devin Vassell, entering his fourth year in the NBA, his age 23 season, fresh off a year where the man averaged 19 points, four rebounds, and four assists in only 38 games, is primed to turn the corner and emerge as the star that everybody else is saying that Franz Wagner will be. I am not going to pick that man. That is the the hot pick amongst the podcast community. Put me on Team Vassell. I think it's his time to shine. I believe in him. I believe in his athletic and physical profile. I believe in his shooting prowess, which has jumped from 35% from beyond the arc to 39% on seven three-point attempts per game last year. The presence of Victor Wembanyama will certainly help him get better, cleaner looks, and I think there's enough ball to go around. So chalk it up. The San Antonio Spurs will hold both the Rookie of the Year... Well, that's a spoiler. I'm not picking him for Rookie of the Year when I get to that section because of the rules. But in all likelihood, the Spurs will hold both the Rookie of the Year and the most improved player, Devin Vassell. Recording paused. So that brings us to the final award I will be profiling, and that is the NBA Rookie of the Year. Victor is the odds-on favorite, a huge favorite. Following him up, Chet Holmgren and Scoot Henderson. Now, due to my rules, I cannot select four players. Victor Wembanyama, Chet Holmgren, Scoot Henderson, and Brandon Miller. However, I don't think there's a prayer in hell that Brandon Miller will even be the fourth person in consideration for Rookie of the Year. I don't believe in him. I don't believe in that organization. And I would take any one of the three above him 10 days out of 10. Everyone else who's a rookie is in play here. So who do I select? Who will make me look prophetic? I have watched a fair amount of NBA preseason basketball. I watched all of Summer League as the Cavs paraded towards a championship. Here are my options. There's the Thompson Twins. I'm ruling both of them out. I don't think there's enough ball to go around in Houston. And while I like the Detroit option better, I'm not picking him. I just don't think he has the scoring profile that will allow him to be in contention for the award. There's Cam Whitmore. Again, it's a glut of youth. It's a glut of shot attempts that would need to be taken. And there's too many mouths to feed with a man like Jalen Green, Fred Van Vliet, Dylan Brooks, all these additions. I just don't know how that offense is going to shake out. 
That lands me at a spot where I am essentially deciding between two people. The first one is Jaime Jaquez Jr. Now, his odds are long. 10,000. Plus 10,000. He has just 1.3% of the tickets, but here's why I would consider him. One, upperclassman. Usually those guys come in more ready to contribute immediately. Two, team opportunity. The Miami Heat, the eventual NBA champions, according to my predictions, well, they're down a bunch of rotation players. So me, the guy who said that they will win the NBA championship, also expects this rookie to play a pivotal role for them throughout the course of the season. If they're going to win a title, some miraculous shit has got to happen. So Jaime Jaquez Jr. could absorb a lot of those minutes in the rotation that were abandoned by losing Struess, Gabe Vincent, etc. Or at least that's what I have to tell myself to push through here because a lot of these other picks I just wouldn't make. But I did not pick Jaime Jaquez Jr. because it's too redundant with the Heat pick. I'm trying to keep this thing entertaining. So we have arrived at my selection, and it is a man who played his college basketball in the Big 12. It is a man who dominated the Summer League, as he averaged 19 points, five assists, four rebounds, and he did it while shooting 46-39 splits in just 25 minutes per game. It is a man who scored in double digits in three of the four preseason games, and the fourth one shut down after just 16 minutes. It is a man who plays for a team in a transitional state, one which could offload half the roster midseason for all we know. And it is through that blend of opportunity, skill, and dumb luck that we have arrived at the following. Three, two, one. Keontae George of the Utah Jazz, selected 16th overall, will win the 2023 Rookie of the Year. Right after the team planes of the San Antonio Spurs and the Oklahoma City Thunder collide in midair, killing Victor Wembanyama and Chet Holmgren instantly because that's the only way that this could ever happen. It will never, ever happen. But there you have it. Fear the Fro listeners, I thank you for your 33 minutes of dedication to what I hope will become an annual exercise in my incredible, prophetic skills. Now, we will be back with another podcast to wrap up the preseason, to kick off the regular season, but in the meantime, please, if you enjoyed the show, if you haven't subscribed already, rate the show, subscribe to the show, leave a review in the Apple Podcast Store. It all helps to put this in front of the ears of an impressionable young Cavs fan who I can give life lessons to, like, forget math, it's pointless. All you're gonna do with your life is try to avoid robots taking your job. And a robot can do math way better than you. Plus, it won't even matter. We're on the brink of World War III. So, live for today. Thank you. Good night. This has been Fear the Fro. If you like the show, subscribe and rate wherever you listen. Our guy, Bob Schmidt, always gets a reaction out of it. Join us next time for more Cavs and NBA coverage.